0: I'm just going to say to you teenagers that are here tonight, you don't become a man when you grow hair in certain places in your body. You can fill in the blanks. You become a man when you become responsible and you help with the chores around the house and if your family's in financial need, you get a job and you contribute to that family so that you can have the kind of family that God wants you to have you have your notes there in front of you, I want to talk to you about an unusual aspect of manhood tonight, and I equate manhood with leadership. Those of you that have been around the church world any length of time, you know that there's a lot of different names for God in the Old Testament that describe Him. Whenever and however God chose to reveal himself to his people, they would name that quality with a name that represented his characteristics. Some of those common names were Adonai, El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Roi. You've heard this. And these names are important because they tell us who our God is and they tell us what our God can do. And one of those names is mentioned right there in your notes at the very top. If you're not careful, you'll miss it. Do you see it right underneath the title, Thrive Church, Man Up, the Warrior Cause? Do you see Exodus 15, 3 there? The Lord is a what? The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Isaiah prophesied. That Jesus would be a warrior. In Isaiah 19 20, it will become a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt, the land of exile. For they will cry to the Lord because of oppressors. And he will send them a savior and a champion and he will deliver them. Of course, right then, that was Moses. But it was also a prophecy about Jesus. How the Lord would come as a defender, as a champion. God would send a Savior and a mighty one and would deliver his people. I want you to see this, men, because in the church world, we usually don't talk about God being strong. We talk about him being loving, we talk about him being kind. We talk about him being gentle, and that's all true. But this verse says that he is a warrior, and not just a warrior, but a fierce warrior. He will defend what he loves. If you have children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you are a grandfather... You doubly know what I'm talking about. You can talk about me as long as you want. But if you mess with my kids, if you mess with my grandkids, I'm going to mess with you. I just want you to know when the devil messes with you, you serve a fierce warrior. And he will mess with the devil. We are made in the image of God. And what that means, God doesn't look like us, aren't you glad? Brother Dave, I'm so glad God doesn't look like you and me. Amen. Holy smokes. I'm glad the portraits of Jesus are a lot better than our portraits. The Bible says we are made in the image of God. What does that mean? That means we reflect His character. We reflect His nature. And one such area I believe about manhood is that we highlight the warrior face of God. That's what we do. God created you to be a man. And God wants you to reflect His warrior nature. I love the story of Jesus when He's back in His hometown. And there's a crowd there. And if you know the Gospels, you know that crowd was trying to push Him off a cliff outside of Nazareth. And if you've ever been there, you know the traditional site of that cliff, and they're trying to kill him. And in one of the Gospels, it says, Jesus looked at him. And all of a sudden, the crowd parted, and he walked away. If you're married, you know what that look is like. Mm, She doesn't have to say anything. It's kind of like Chuck Norris, Walker, Texas Ranger. He's surrounded by 20 guys with M16s. But he gets that look and he whips them all with his fist and his boots. It's kind of like Mr. T on the old ace team. It's kind of like John Wick. It's kind of like Denzel Washington in the Equalizer. It is a look. Men, as a leader, God created you with the heart of a warrior. That's your first blank to fill in. God wants you to reflect the warrior part of his nature. In your notes there is an interesting passage of scripture from Ezekiel 2230. The prophet Ezekiel, what a prophet. He's speaking for the Lord and he says, I looked for a man, I looked for a leader among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. What this text is saying is that God is looking for men who care. Men who will stand in the gap. Men that you can count on. Men who will fight for their family. Fight for their people. Fight for their neighbor. Fight for their community. Fight for their church. God is literally looking for a warrior. A warrior is somebody who's experienced in warfare. And experienced in conflict. You were born a man. You were not born a woman you were born a man to reflect the character and nature of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who is a fierce warrior if you're willing to be the man that God wants you to be and reflect his warrior nature I want you to cross out the in On that verse in your notes. And it's going to read like this. I look for a man, a leader among them. At Thrive Church who would build up the wall. And stand before me in the gap. On behalf of the land. So I would not have to destroy it. But I found one. A man that could be counted on. A man who was on time. A man whose handshake was his word. A man who didn't have to be reminded to fulfill his responsibility. A man who knew how to work hard. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good, but man, I'm preaching good right there. Let me say this about the warrior aspect of leadership. It's your next fill in. Every warrior has a cause to fight for. You were born a man. God wants you to reflect his warrior characteristics and traits and values. And he has a cause for you to fight for. Look at that next verse. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 14. Is that in your notes there? Yes it is. Don't be afraid of them. If you know the story, I just finished the book of Nehemiah in my devotions in Ezra. It's just a great story of the exiles coming from Babylon, going back to Israel. It's just an incredible story. And and Nehemiah, he, he, he goes to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which he did in, I don't know, 52, 53 days. It's just an amazing story. And there were these three dudes named Sanballat, Tobiah and Gershom and they wanted to kill Nehemiah. They wanted him to stop doing what he was doing and he said to them or the Lord said to them or he, Nehemiah said to the people don't be afraid of them. Nehemiah, Don't be afraid of Sanballat, Tobiah and Gershom. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters your wives And your homes. You got a reason to live. You were born for a reason, and God has kept you alive for a reason. Dave, you should have been dead at least two times, and I know of, and the Lord knows I don't want to know everything about your past. But He does, but He kept you alive for a reason. It's in the heart of a man to be a warrior. If you're like me, you can only handle so many Hallmark movies. They're all the same. The kiss comes. They live happily ever after. And I do it for my wife, okay? You've just, once in a while, you've got to see something blow up. You've just got to do it. You've got to see a cool fight scene, a man movie. And just like every Hallmark movie has the same theme, Every man movie has something in common. And you know what it is? It's a cause. Something that some man or group of men are willing to fight for. And that's why I love this text that we just read from Nehemiah 4.14. Because the devil is trying to get you to stop fighting. The devil is trying to get you to give up. The devil is trying to get you to throw in the towel. The devil's trying to get you to go the easy route and go downstream and get addicted to pornography and use drugs and live drunken on alcohol and be irresponsible and make your wife and your children suffer. That's what the devil's trying to do to you. He's trying to get you to come down. But the Lord, who is great and awesome, you're, you're to, he says to you, fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your home. A man needs something to live for outside of himself. If all you live for is yourself and your own interest, you're going to be a bored man. And this is why I believe most men commit adultery, is because they get bored It's more than lust. It's adultery. It's exactly what happened to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It was the spring of the year when the kings were supposed to go out to war. And he stayed behind. And one cool evening he was walking around the city of Jerusalem. And he was bored and he saw a beautiful naked woman. Didn't God create Women a lot better than men. A naked man is not that great to look at. And you know the story. Was married to one of his best soldiers. And he committed adultery with her and got her pregnant. And had this soldier, this friend, killed because he was bored. A man needs something to live for outside of himself. True manhood is not boring. You're always fighting. You're always sticking up for somebody. You're always standing in the gap when everybody else is lazy. And everybody else wants a handout. It's in the heart of men that God created to be a warrior. Ah, That's like William Wallace. You remember that scene... From brave heart, yeah baby, fight and you may die, run and you'll live. Remember, he's riding back on his horse at least a little while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies That they may take our lives. And remember, he raises his sword over his head. But they will never take our what? Oh, you can do better than that. They'll never take our? Yeah, that was a good one. (laughs) What's our great cause? It's soul's. People who don't know Jesus are not going to be lost. They're lost right now. They're already in a Christless eternity. The only way to get out of it is to be born again. That's why we preach about the blood so much. It's the blood of Jesus that sets you free from sin, from the penalty of sin, from the pressure of sin, from the temptation of sin. It's the blood of Jesus that sets you free from addiction and from bondage. That's why we preach about the blood so much. Because souls need to be saved. Going to church is good, but it won't make you any more of a Christian than going to McDonald's will make you soggy, greasy French fries. Remember how we used to be excited about going to McDonald's? If you've got little kids, I want to encourage you, they're going to grow up. Our great causes are families. It's our church. It's the kingdom of God. We have causes to fight for. A warrior without a cause to fight for will find the wrong thing to fight against. Put that in in your next blanks. If you don't have a cause to fight for, you're going to end up fighting against The right kind of things. You're going to start saying right is wrong and wrong is right. You know who wrote most of the New Testament? A guy named Paul. Before his conversion he was a Jewish man, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the highest order of the five religious categories that were going on at the time of Christ in the New Testament. He was a Pharisee and he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. And he was killing Christians, at least approving of their execution and their imprisonment. It says in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, but Saul began to destroy the church. Paul was Saul. Have you seen people fight against the church? I have, pastor, you have. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Men, I'm just telling you, you need a cause to fight for. Some of you. Your marriage is weakening, perhaps falling apart, and you haven't been fighting for your marriage. You've been passage, just, passive, just waiting and seeing. You're not fighting and leading the way you want to and the way you need to. You need to read a book. You need to go to a workshop. You need to humble yourself and get some help. For some of you, it's your children. And you've been way too absent and your children are getting away from you. It's something that you're feeling and you're seeing and it's time for you to fight for your children. For others of you, it's your finances. You haven't been living on a budget. You've not been tithing. For some of you, it's your integrity. There's holes in your integrity. Integrity. And far too long you've been covering things up. You've been shifting the blame to the boss, the company, somebody else. It's time to get honest and do some fighting. Different stages require different causes. At one stage we fight for something. At another stage we fight for something else. It doesn't matter. You've just got to keep fighting. People say to me, I thought you were retired. What does that mean? Does that mean you just quit living? Does that mean you just stop preaching? You stop witnessing? You stop praying? You stop reading your Bible? When a man doesn't have a cause to fight for, he gets bored. And he begins to self-destruct. He begins to feel devalued and worthless. He begins to buck authority. When a man doesn't have a cause to fight for, he cannot be tamed. He just becomes a wild man. You gotta fight for a cause, something bigger than yourself. What is your cause? What is your cause? What is your cause right now that you need to fight for? Is it your finances? Is it your marriage? Is it your children? The men next to you don't need to see it, but why don't you write something in there? Do you need to fight more for the church? You need to volunteer more for the church? You you need to fight for your finances more and not give up and just surrender? What is it you need to fight for? Write it down there in that space in your notes. Man, I'm exercised tonight. You guys are, an you got a good preacher. You can tell when you're in a good church, it's easier to preach. (laughs) Some churches, man, it's like... Ooh, ice skating in there. <laughs> my dad was a professional boxer. He kind of looked like this guy right here. My dad, my dad was born in 1896. Can you believe that? My mom married a man, she didn't know how old he was until two weeks after they were married because all the young men were off fighting in World War II in Asia and in Europe. My dad lied to her. Two weeks after they got married, she found out she married a man the same age as her dad. And my mom was a fox. How my dad got her, I don't know. Don't have a clue. He was a good talker, I'll just say that. He was a fighter, that was it. He fought for her, that was it. My dad was a professional boxer. And he bought us boxing gloves. I remember as a little kid, four and five years old, just getting a tar beat out of me by my older brother who was nine years older than me. <laughs> I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's how he raised us. And then my younger brother, who's 22 much younger than me, he was bigger than me, but he was just a scaredy cat and I beat the tar out of him. Old. We'd get in arguments and mom and dad would go get the gloves and put us in a room and close the door and we'd pound on each other. I'm not saying it's right I'm just saying that's the way I was raised and there's a couple things I learned about fighting from my dad number one, sometimes you gotta throw a punch in every man's life there comes a time Where you've got to draw the proverbial line in the sand and you stand your ground. And you say to the enemy of your soul, your one more time is long past. You get out of this house. And you throw a punch. If you steal a man's right to fight, you emasculate him. I'm going to tell you this story a man's meeting. Can't do it when there's women. By the way, you know the toilets in this hotel must have been created by a woman. When you lift the lid up, it doesn't stay up. At least in my room. Did you notice that in your room? You've got to stand and hold it up with one leg and do your business. It won't stay up on its own. You know that a woman created that toilet lid. <laughs> When I was a youth pastor down in the Peoria area, one night my wife and two little babies were already in bed, and I'm sitting in the living room, and fortunately I had my robe on. Lots of times I just sit around my, div- my, my undies, and uh, this car pulls up in the driveway, and the door opens up, and here comes this little girl in, and she'd been beat up. And I said, oh, what's wrong? She said, Carol just beat me up again. Then I tried to settle her down and talk, and all of a sudden, he pulls up in the van. She runs down the hallway. I found out later, she opened up our bedroom door and jumped in bed with my little wife, 20-something years of age, and my two babies are in the room next to my wife. And Carol comes in, and he's just, he's, he's like a raging elephant, a raging bull. He he had lots of problems with hostility, with anger, and and, and he's just raging. And I finally got him outside, and I locked the door behind me. That was my first mistake. And I tried to reason with him. Hey, I'm an ordained pastor here. I've been trained. I know how to de-escalate situations, and I'll just talk him down. Well, he just started hitting me, and he commenced to beating me up. He's a big man. I'm not a big man, but I'm not a scared man. That's how that's how I get hurt all the time. <laughs> that's, I broke this ankle, now I just broke this foot. I've broken three ribs playing football and other bones in my body. And I'm not a big man, but I'm not a scared man. Carol just began to beat me up. I'm blocking his punches. You know, trying to talk him down, trying to de-escalate the situation. He rips my shirt down the front, all the buttons off. He's choking me. And, and I'm like, wait a minute, i got a wife and two babies. Man of God or no man of God. Preacher or no preacher. Ordained preacher or no ordained preacher. I'm not going to let this guy kill me. And of course by then the adrenaline's flowing and I just threw him off our front porch. Big old man. I just, it was like a John Wayne movie. I just threw him off the front porch. And I, I tried to open up the door. but well, by this time, my wife Bonnie was awake. Well, she's the one that locked the door behind me. And I'm trying to get in. I'm pounding the door, pounding the door. Let me in, let me in. I'm ringing the doorbell. And he comes back and he's got a, uh, his hand behind his back. And I said, Carol, what do you have there? He said, I got a ball bat. and I'm going to beat you to death with it. And I just read a magazine called The Pentecostal Evangel, and it told the story of a Teen Challenge director in Cincinnati, Ohio, who had been beaten to death by a gang over there with a ball bat. Now, you talk about fear, and you talk about weird circumstances. And he comes up the steps and again I had that thought, man of God or no man of God, ordained preacher or no ordained preacher. I've been taught to de-escalate but this is beyond de-escalation. This is already volcanic and he came at me and again it was like a John Wayne movie. I hit him where I knew to hit him and he flew off that porch and I knocked him out cold and I broke that little finger. And I'm ringing the doorbell. By this time my wife had called the police and she'd called one of our other pastors. And and I'm out on the porch and the adrenaline's going and my shirt is ripped. And and he had beat me and this eye was already swollen shut. And my face was swollen and my my lips bleeding. and, 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 And he's laying down there and he's out. And all of a sudden one of our pastors came up. And right behind him came the police. And this was the days when they carried real wooden nightsticks. And they started coming at the pastor and I was able to say enough, no, good guy, bad guy. And they went over to the bad guy and he got up and they both hit him on the head at the same time. He had a big old goose egg on his head. He was out for another 20 minutes. It was awesome. He beat me up. That was on a Friday night. Saturday night we had some kind of women's daughters thing and all the pastors and deacons and elders had to serve everybody and I got black eyes and a swollen lip and a swollen face and all these old ladies that say, Pastor Gary, what's wrong with you? And I'd say, nothing, nothing. That Sunday night when we used to have Sunday night church we're down at the altar praying and I look through the windows way in the back of the church and I see Carol standing there. He got bailed out of jail and and I said to a guy who had eight black belts, I don't know, judo, karate, I don't know which it was, Steve Piper of, of, of the gang over there in Pekin, what was their name? Yeah, the Grim Reapers, dude, he was the enforcer. Oh, he was one tough cookie. I said, Steve, will you stand by me? Carol's in the back. Well, by that time, I had some big old men standing around me. I said, guys, I think it's okay. I think he's here to repent. He came down. I stood there. He goes, I'm sorry. Fell down at my feet, started kissing my feet. You know, I'm not not Jesus. I wanted to kick him in the teeth. I almost did. I almost (laughs) did. But in that moment, the Holy Spirit helped me. You've got to know when to throw a punch. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for everything. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. A time to live, a time to love, a time to sow, a time to harvest, and a time to fight. Jesus did this with the money changers. When people start running the preacher down and start running the church down, that's the time you stand up and fight and say, You're not going to talk that way about our preacher because he's a real man of God. He's not perfect, but he sacrificed him and his family a lot to give us this wonderful church. The second thing I learned from my dad is you got to know when to turn a cheek. Sometimes you got to turn your cheek. You absorb the pain. You forgive. Maybe you ask for forgiveness. Incredible example of this in the Garden of Eden. Peter cuts off the ear of the high priest ser- servant and Jesus tells him this is not the time to fight with the sword but with love the prophet ezekiel said in the verse ezekiel 2230 i'm looking for one i'm looking for a man i'm looking for a leader the passion of servant leadership started when i was 14 years old And to be a warrior for God started when I was around age 15 when I led my first soul to Christ. And in this battle there's times when I've had to stand and fight and defend the faith and defend my friends and to tell people look you can attack me but don't you attack my wife or children. We're not perfect but we're called by God. And There's other times I've had to just take it and not say anything and not defend myself. Your pastor knows who missionary Dick Brogdon is. He leads this huge movement called Live Dead. He's recruited more young missionaries for the Muslim world than anybody in the last 100 years. And I said to him on one occasion a couple years ago, Dick, what is it that you look for in resident missionaries to such difficult places on this planet? And he said to me, Papa G, I look for warriors. I look for warriors. Sometimes we absorb the pain and we say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I forgive you. In fact, I would just say to you men, when was the last time you said I am sorry? You've got to have a cause to fight for. Pastor mentioned that I had the privilege of being the state youth leader here in Illinois for 300 and something churches and did the Chicago outreach with David Wilkerson for 10 years and East St. Louis outreach for 5 years and We're doing Chicago Outreach three times this summer, by the way. I need some of you to come. There'll be a job for everybody to do. Don't worry about it. We'll train you. Need you to help us. Need you to help us. Need you to be there. People are going to be coming from all over the state, maybe all over the country. One will be in a real safe place called Humboldt Park. I'm not going to tell you where the other ones are going to be yet. Other than the initials are Inglewood we're not going to do anything foolish we're going to be wise, we work with local people we've never had an incident now I have, when I go in early, I've had incidents but when we have our people there, we've never had an incident the Lord stirred my heart about two years before I left that wonderful ministry that was my wife's favorite ministry basically I was a youth evangelist, it was so much fun it was a great ministry and God began to stir my heart. And he led me to Urbana, Illinois, a little church of about 30 people. At one time it had been a great church, but it had gone down. And so I relaunched that church. I never tried to make it into a big church. I just tried to love people and preach the word and disciple people and have prayer meetings and have leadership meetings and just do what we were supposed to do and reach out to all kinds of people. Man, We had those one percenters come, and what do you call it when they burn the tire on the... The burnout, burnout. man. Those tires cost how much, Dave? And And those guys are out there burning the rubber off those tires. That's not too smart. (laughs) We We had the Urbana SWAT or the Champagne SWAT team come out. They dressed me in a bunch of stuff, and the men got to shoot me with these pellet things. It was awesome. It was so much fun. We smashed cars, buses... We did all kind of things to reach people for Jesus. When we left that statewide youth ministry, we lived on a lake south of Springfield, Illinois, a beautiful place. My daughter had all kinds of friends. My son was excited about moving to Urbana, Illinois to play for a bigger football team, and he did end up playing in college also. But our daughter fight fought me all the way. She fought me all the way, and when we got to her when she got to her band of middle school, she made the wrong kind of friends, and she started going down the wrong path. And the devil tried to get her. And my wife and I would lay in bed and we'd talk about it, and I'd say, "Honey, we're gonna fight for Stacy." We dedicated her to the Lord. If you haven't had your children dedicated yet, I don't care if they're teenagers. You have them dedicated in a public service. And what you're really doing is saying, I'm going to raise my family to believe the Bible and to be in church. That's what dedication is really about. I said, baby, we dedicated our children to Jesus and we're going to fight for her soul. I'd go in and pray for her and she'd say, I don't believe in your God anymore. And I'd say, well, that's okay. He believes in you. <laughs> She'd say, I don't believe in prayer anymore. And I'd say, that's okay. Prayer believes in you. One time she said, I'm going to run away. I went and got a suitcase. I said, okay. She goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm helping you run away. Well, where am I going to go? I said, I don't know. That's your problem. I start throwing stuff in the suitcase. I said, you live in my house, under my roof. You sit at my table and you eat the food that I buy. Your mom does your laundry. Everything that you have in life, we have given to you. Everything. She hadn't had a job by then. We didn't give her any allowance unless she did work around the house. I'm not going to give you free money. You're going to have to work for your money, boy. I'm not going to give you free money. You've got you to take the garbage out. You've got to help your mom with dishes. you got to learn how. You can't go to college and learn how to do laundry. You'll be stupid. You've got to learn how to iron. You've got to learn how to vacuum. My dad said to me, son, you can take all the driver's ed classes you want, all the examinations you want, but until you can prove to me that you can change your own oil and change your own tire, you're not going to get your driver's license. I don't think I could change oil in the car I drive today, but I could change oil on a 56 Ford. I did that. It was pretty easy. And then a 48 Chevy pickup. Oh, I love that truck. Sweet ruby red. I should have never given her away. I bought her for 100 bucks and sold her for 250 How stupid was that? <laughs> Custom 3,000, three windows in the back. That was a sweet ride. I fought for our daughter. She wanted to stay at her friend's Tara's house. I said, baby, you can't stay there. Her and her 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 live-in boyfriend are not married. You can't stay there. They're not married in God's sight. Plus, he has alcohol problems. And if something happened to you, I could never forgive myself. Well, you don't like my friends. You don't trust me. Nope. it has nothing to do with me not liking your friends. He seems like a nice guy. But I am accountable to Almighty God for you as long as you live in my house. And I fear God. He's a loving God, but He's also a judge. She can stay here anytime she wants. You can go over there in the daytime, but we will come and get you when evening comes. You will not be there alone. That man ended up getting in trouble for messing with one of supposedly his stepdaughter's friends who had spent the night. I'm glad I fought for my daughter. She'd be asleep and I'd get up in the middle of the night and I'd go in and pray over and I think demons were at work in her life. I'd start praying in the spirit, praying in tongues, praying in my prayer language. And she'd start moving and I took authority over the devil. And in my prayer time I told the devil, if you want to get to my children, you've got to come through my elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you've got to fight him. I was a roller skater when I was a kid at Ralph's Roller Rink. And one time I got kicked out for supposedly roller derbying a guy, and it wasn't me. If it was me, I would have admitted it. And he kicked me out. I was a junior high kid, and I called, and I was crying. And my brother came and picked me up in his 38 black coupe with a rumble seat in the back. And he goes, what are you crying about, boy? I said, well, Ralph kicked me out, and he accused me of roller derbying somebody and pushing me into the wall, and it wasn't me. If it was me, I would have admitted it, and I don't lie. He goes, let's go inside. I'm not saying it's right I'm just saying it's what my older brother did and he went up there and stood at the counter and he said my brother doesn't lie you wouldn't listen to him and you kicked him out and this little short pimp of a man wuss of a man mouthed off to my big brother that was a mistake. And my big brother reached across that counter and pulled that little wimp of a man up and said, if you ever falsely accuse... And he'd roughed me up a little bit. If you ever touch my brother again, you'll answer to me. You know what? I never had to pay for skate rentals again. (laughs) I only had to pay to get into Ralph's roller rink. We fought for our daughter. We prayed. We fasted. We sought counselors. If it wasn't for James Dobson's book, The Strong-Willed Child, I don't think we would have ever survived raising that girl. But she is a dynamic leader now. She got a master's degree in social work. Her husband is a professor at North Central University. She knows the Bible. You ought to hear her preach She leads a social service agency that oversees the eight largest agencies in the state of Minnesota. She answers to the governor, the lieutenant governor, to state senators and state representatives. She's a leader sent by God, and that's why the devil was fighting her. All right, guys, we studied that every warrior has a cause to fight for. During this season of your life look at the questions there. what's your greatest cause? your finances, your marriage, your children? what is it? The warrior must occasionally the warrior occasionally must throw a punch, must go on the offense at other times a warrior should turn a cheek. In other words, the warrior needs to learn how to absorb the pain. Which do you need to do to win the battle before you? To take me to the deep end, so long. I-